Welcome, everybody, to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. This week, we are going to continue our position preview series with the offensive line. Once again, going to be a long show going through pretty much every player on the roster, so we're going to get right into it. I'm going to lead things off with the man, the myth, the legend, the big ticket, Mekhi Becton himself. Uh, Jets' first round draft pick last year, Joe Douglas' first draft pick of his tenure as Jets GM. Mammoth size, 6'7", plays around 365. Incredible, incredible athlete for his size. We all know who Mekhi Becton is. We all know what he does. He eats linebackers and DBs for breakfast and puts fear into the hearts of defensive linemen everywhere. And we're expecting a big progression from him. Now, we did have the news real quick, as it is topical, about his foot injury. It's plantar fasciitis. Am I pronouncing that correctly, if I'm remembering? Um, where it doesn't seem to be a major injury, but it could linger. And when you're 6'7 and 360, you put a lot of weight on your feet. That's just the nature of physics. So it's something to monitor. On top of that, outside of the injury, which he seems to hopefully will come back from, well, hopefully that doesn't seem to be a trend in the future that continues. But when Mekhi Becton is on the field, he is a monster. I think and he was better as a rookie than anybody could have hoped for him to be. And we were expecting good things. It's a first-round pick, 11th overall, highly regarded by pretty much any offensive lineman or trainer who knows anything about the position was rating about him. Duke Mannyweather trained him personally because he was so enamored with Becton as a talent. And he came in and proved that he is just as worthy as that 11th overall pick, if not higher. And the Jets got a really, really good player. For his projection in this, this scheme, a lot of people are going to think, oh, he's too, too big. And that he's going to be not able to be the fluid offensive linemen that are running the outside. Well, Bakai Becton has already run the system. He ran it at Louisville. And it was all they did at Louisville, basically, was run outside zone and read options counters off. Of it. And Mekhi Becton's job as the lead tackle on outside zone on those plays was to get out to the edge and just wash everybody out of the play. And that's where you see the clips like against Clemson, where Mekhi Becton gets up on the defensive end, gets locked in with his shoulder pads and quite literally drives him into the bench. That's what he is going to be asked to do in this scheme. And it's going to be a thing to see. Because if you want to see what Mekhi Becton is going to be like playing in this scheme, watch what Trent Williams was like in San Francisco this past year, depleting people on almost every play. It's going to be the same type of just violence, nastiness. You got to get out to your landmark, and there is a bit of athleticism that comes with that that I think Becton has already shown to be capable of doing. But once you get to that landmark, you don't got to reach. You don't got to worry about getting your hips around and ceiling, getting the perfect edge. If the guy's on the ground, he can't make a tackle. If he's into the bench, he certainly can't make the tackle. Get that guy out of the way as the force player that's coming to the strong side of the play. Mekhi Becton is one of the best in the NFL at eliminating force players. In terms of pass protection, play action always helps with pass protection. It allows offensive linemen to not be passive in their pass protection. And what I mean by that is in a normal drop back, you're waiting, you're letting the rusher come to you. You're dropping back, you're going through your kick, you're getting to your spot, you're getting to your depth. You probably aren't going to punch first because you're worried about getting swatted. It's a passive, defensive way of playing the position. When it's play action, you're attacking. You want it to look like it's run blocking. You want to get out to your spot, get your hands on first, basically stonewall the guy and make him think the run is coming so he isn't pass rushing anymore. After that, it's just clamp and anchor. Makai Becton is going to be awesome at that. And he was awesome at that when the Jets would run play action last year. He was one of the few people that was held up. Those are where you see the clips of Sam Darnold running for his life to the right and Mekhi Becton's got his guy locked up on the left side. No one else is blocking, but Mekhi Becton's got his guy stone. Same type of thing when the Jets run play action under their new offense. I really, really think he is going to establish himself as one of the unquestionably 10, if not better, best tackles in the NFL this season. I think he's that good. I think he's that talented. And I really, really do think that it's only a matter of time before Mekhi Becton shows what he is truly capable of. And yeah, uh, you know, his feet with this scheme is just perfect because John Benton, the Jets offensive line coach, he runs a variation of the outside zones, the wide zones. And the left tackle, he doesn't need to always reach. As you said, Andrew, he doesn't need to reach block all the time. If the defender has outside shoulder leverage from him, you just drive block him to the sideline. And that's what Mikai Backton is so great at. He did this last year against the 49ers all game long. Against other teams all game long, he just pushes guys to the sideline. 
and allows the back lane. So when your tackle can drive block to the outside, your left guard becomes the guy that needs to reach and be the outside point of the outside zone. And that's why Backton is going to just fit in perfectly this offense. He can be aggressive. And as you said also, Andrew, when the Jets go play action, teams will be afraid to lose the edge against Backton. So they will contain, giving a cleaner pocket for our quarterback. I mean, one of the main things I worried about with Beckton coming out of school, out of uh, Louisville, was his ability to stay healthy. Uh, I'm going back to my redraft right now that I did. Uh, I took worse over Beckton because I thought that he would be a little bit more stable in, in that in that realm. And so far, it's that's holding up well. I mean, I don't think this plantar uh, fasciitis is just the 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 first step or that could be a trend. I think it is a continuation. His whole rookie year, he was sort of plagued by injuries. So yep. it's it's nothing, yep. it's not something surprising. And I only think it's going to continue that he'll be plagued by these little injuries here and there. Uh, so capable backups are going to be needed. Yeah. 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 I agree here. Yeah. He needs to lose some weight. He needs Agreed. to lose some weight. You know, get some muscles in there so he can play 16 games every year. But I think he'll get there. I think so, too. And, and so. Robert Sala said it himself in his recent press conference. He was talking about the injury, and, and he mentioned that it's not just Beckton, It's every player on the team that they're going to have to learn a different way of taking care of their bodies and making sure that they are in the best football shape possible because it's only going to help. Being out of shape is never going to be a good thing when you're playing a professional sport. And it's not that I think Mekhi Becton was out of shape. It's that he could be in peak shape. It's that he could be in better, way more quality shape that is more specifically designed and targeted to help his career and his growth. And I want to talk about this really quick because the Jets' strength and uh, health staff is really, really interesting. And I don't know if any other teams operate this way, but I really think they should start. I'm really glad the Jets are, if they are, kind of setting a trend a little bit. They hired somebody that is the basically head coach of their strength and conditioning staff. And he coordinates with not just the strength and conditioning and weightlifting, but nutrition, doctors, everything. They basically, instead of being a bunch of individual separate offices where you go to one trainer for nutrition and one trainer for medical and one trainer for weightlifting, they're all coordinated. And their game planning, for lack of a better term, for their players, week in and week out, what specific plan are we going to do as a team to help this player's body get in the best shape possible? I love that idea. I yeah. absolutely love that idea. And I think it's going to show wonders specifically next year when the Jets have had two years of being in this system and the whole team goes through it. Because I'm, Adam Gase's team's gassed out so fast, it was sad. And yeah. let alone, you know, the energy of wanting to play for a coach like Adam Gase, they didn't have the stamina anyway. In two years, the Jets are going to be a machine. And I'm, I hope that that's when you really see the, the evolution of Mekhi Becton, where everyone talks about his ceiling is limitless, because it truly is. He gets his body right. We could be talking about the best tackle in the NFL, point blank period. If he doesn't, he could be a really, really good tackle who only plays 13 games every year. And that's a concern. So I, I agree with what both of you guys are saying, and that he definitely needs to work and get his body to the best shape it possibly can be because it's it's a it's an athletic marvel as is it can only be better yep i agree i mean he could be the biggest monster on the field but as long as he needs to stay on the field though and if he if he can't then he's not much use to us the best ability is availability all right well that's going to lead us into the other tackle that's george fant matt uh you're going to take this on go ahead all right, George Fant. Uh, so Fant was brought in during the, the first wave of uh, Joe Douglas' uh, first free agent. Uh, he was actually the first free agent we took. Um, Joe wanted to bring in an athletic versatile tackle, and he found it in, in George. Uh, he's a former hoop star at Western Kentucky, and it, it definitely shows with his athleticism. At Seattle, he played mostly left tackle, but for us, he stepped right in and played right tackle. And he didn't look horrible. I don't think so. Uh, Joe Douglas knows the offensive line. 
Uh, there's no other position group I trust them with more than the offensive line. And the contract itself was set up in a way where we could move on for fans if things didn't work out. But I think he showed enough that first year with us last year uh, to give him a shot this year. I think he he played well enough. Not great, but well enough. And he's still very much a project. He's by no means a polished tackle. Uh, but that's to be expected. He's, he's very raw at the position. Uh, and you see this rawness most with his footwork. You notice it when uh, he's mirroring defenders up the arc. He's notorious for clicking his heels together, probably more than Dorothy from Wizard of Oz. You really want to see <laughs> his feet follow each other fluidly, not, not be clunking together like horses. It, his hand use needs some work as well. Uh, the timing, the placement, they're, they're all over the place. Um, it's, it's not just at the line either. It's when he's on the move, which is where he's really going to be valuable is on the move. Uh, he shoots his hands high. He shoots them outside. He shoots them while being top heavy. It all results in negative plays. Like I said before, where he's going to shine is on the move. Uh, you know, when he's on the move, you see exactly why he's a special talent worth grooming. He covers a lot of ground quickly, both in the open field and in his uh, lateral agility at the line. As long as he isn't wasting steps, he can get to where he needs to. And for all the faults Fanton has, he showed some marked improvement in these areas uh, from his time at Seattle to uh, last year with us. Uh, I'd like to see him continue to grow inside this offense, which I think is perfectly built for him. Uh, they will not be shy about using his athletic ability. Uh, but now here comes the wrench being thrown in all of Fant's 2021 plans, and he goes by the name of Morgan Moses. Uh, Moses has been a dominant force for Washington for seven years. Outside of his rookie season, he never got a pro football focus offensive grade lower than 65. Uh, he makes his money in the ground game. He has solidified himself as one of the league's best run blockers. On top of being dominant, he's uh, also a team leader. He was uh, voted team captain for Washington. You can never have enough team leaders. Yep, Yep. he likes his team leaders. Uh, He's the exact opposite of Fant in terms of being polished. Uh, But what he is not, he is not as athletic as Fant. Of course, not many tackles are. Uh, Of course, we've just been, we've just uh, been rumored to have talked to him. We brought him in. no uh, no sign of him being signed yet or being close to making a decision. Uh, but this definitely uh, throws a little wrinkle into the, the tackle conversation. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, um, I agree. It certainly is interesting. I think Joe Douglas, the king of due diligence, uh, saw a quality player that he didn't expect to hit the market, hit the market, and wanted to see what he had. And it's certainly worth looking at. I don't think... There's only a handful of positions on this team that are absolutely 100% safe. And I think it's Zach Wilson, Mekhi Becton, and Quinnen Williams. And Carl Lawson. Honestly, everybody else, I think, their role may not, you know, is not going to be completely away. But I think there's not any one position that is completely immune from being upgraded. And same goes for the offensive line, as always. got to be better and got to be deep. And if George Fant is your backup tackle... He's a really, really good one. If he's your starting right guard, we aren't quite sure. Is he? Would he move to guard? I'm not quite sure. Honestly, it's what I would want to do. Because while I think he would have the athletic ability to do so, I think especially in our division, you got to be able to anchor against some of these defensive tackles. You got to be able to not just get bowled over. And it's one thing to be able to get out in front and reach block somebody. But if you get shed anyway, then it's it, it doesn't really matter. And it would be a new position for him. So that's his his third position after tight end on the offensive line. You go from being a left tackle in Seattle to a right tackle with us to a right guard. That's a lot, especially when this wouldn't be happening until the middle of the summer, right before training camp. He's been training at tackle this whole time, and you're going to move him to guard. I'd be a little skeptical about that at this yeah. moment. I'd, I'd be very skeptical of that, considering he's hasn't even mastered tackle yet. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm exactly. not going to move him inside to a position he's right. never played before, or has he played it a little bit at, at Seattle? He might have. 
Uh, but I think not maybe briefly, but not to the point where he's your starting right guard. No. And he's he's playing every snap in that same spot. Like he had been at the starting right tackle. And I think when they drafted Mekhi Becton, then we knew George Fant was going to the right side. But George Fant was still training to be a tackle. Whether he was going to be training right or left, he probably had an inkling that they were planning to draft the left tackle. I imagine that the Jets didn't keep him in the dark and said, yeah, go train at left tackle. And then when we move you to the right side at the end of, at the end of April, everything will be fine. I don't think that's how it went down. So I'd be I'd be skeptical. That said, Morgan Moses, I think, is a better tackle than George Fantas. And you would be upgrading a tackle spot, which is important. And I think in this system as the run blocker that he is, I think he certainly would be more than capable of running this system. I don't think it would be out of his limits as well. I think he's athletic enough to be the backside guy that we've talked about before. And I it just kind of seems like I don't know what you would do with George Fant. And so it's, I would want to make the conversation about George Fant because that was the point of he's the starting tackle right now. And that's who we're talking about. And if you sign Morgan Moses, I, I just, I don't know what happens to him. Yeah. I really like Moses, but I do think that Fant's going to be an above average tackle this year. Funny thing about Fant's last season, I thought early in the year that he was going to be a better run blocker than a pass blocker. By the end of the season, he was a much better pass blocker than run blocker. And I feel like LaFleur and this system will help George Fant because everyone knew when the Jets were running outside zone to the right last year. Everyone knew when the Jets were running the ball last year. This year, I feel like the play calling and the scheme will help George Fant get pre-snap advantage as a lead blocker on the outside zone, on the inside zone. And I think this part of his game is going to evolve because, as you guys were saying, he is just a great athletic fit for this system. On the other hand, if you grab Morgan Moses, you automatically improve on the right tackle spot, and all of a sudden you have Mikai Backton, you have Elijah Tucker, you have Connor McGovern, and you have Morgan Moses as four of your five starting offensive linemen. And all of those guys are really, really good. They can be really, really good. So I wouldn't be mad either way. That's my stance. I wouldn't be mad either way. And what Andrew said is true. What do you do with Fan? I think you have to keep him as a backup if you sign Morgan Moses. That's an expensive backup, though. He's going to be coming in at around $10 million. And I don't think you can trade him either. You can't cut him. Not this year. He's, they they made the contract so that they can get out of it in 2022, but this year that 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 money would probably be around 6.5 million. Uh, so you can't you can't really get rid of them. <laughs> oh, and you know, we, as go ahead, Victor. No, you know, from Backton's injury history, Morgan Moses is not a young player. I feel like, and everyone likes George Fant in the Jets locker room. I feel like he was the team's leader in NFLPA last season, something like that. They respect George Fan. He's a good player. And we don't know about Mikai's back Mikai Backton's healthy. If Mikai Backton is going to be healthy for an entire season. So I feel like even though he's going to be expensive, Fan can be, you know, a reasonable backup for this team. If they sign Moses, you keep Fan, let him practice at the left tackle, at the right tackle, run him as your swing tackle, maybe on goal line situations, and you know, just skip the guy. Yeah, you could do a lot worse than Fant as a as a swing tackle. Yeah, I agree. I agree with both what you guys are saying. I think Vitor made the point that if you sign Morgan Moses, you keep Fant as your backup tackle, as your swing tackle, because we don't know about Mekhi Beckton's injury history and Moses is older than other players. But I also really agree with what he said in that I think the Jets really like George Fant. And I think this was less about we're going to bring in Morgan Moses to a visit to sign him to replace Fant and more about this is a guy we didn't expect to be available. Let's see what's what the deal is. Let's just get an idea. Let's bring him in. Let's work about. Let's see what we got. Get an idea for the price range. It's due diligence, as Joe Douglas talks about all the time. And I, as much as it is due diligence, I legitimately don't think anything is going to come of it. And I think George Fant's going to be the starting right now. I think so as well. And I think you could do a lot worse than George Fan as you're starting right tackle. No, yeah, you can. 
yeah, especially in this game. And I and I like to want to make the point real quick on him before we we transition. I think he got better as the season went on. And I think that's important to note is that especially when you're playing for a coach like Adam Gase and you're losing and you're losing and the mood in the, the locker room gets worse and worse. And very clearly there wasn't much coaching going on there to have a player noticeably improve on their own. That's saying something. And it's why I had such big, I had big hopes for Bryce Hall too, which we'll get to later, not to be too off topic, but Bryce Hall got better as the season went on in a bad system. And I think George Fant, like we've talked about, his projection is only looking up. Yep. I agree. I mean, he gave up a lot of pressures, but uh, he only gave up three sacks the entire year. And yeah. two of them were in the first four games. So, Yeah, we all wanted, before the draft and free agency, we all wanted darts. No one was worried about the tackles in the middle of the offseason. We wanted Joe Thune and we wanted ABT, which I think is a great transition into the guy we got, Elijah Barrett Tucker, ABT. Uh, this is guy, another guy Vitor is going to cover. Uh, go ahead, Vitor. Take it away. Talk about the man, the myth, the legend, ABT, who was worth the trade-up, by the way. Yeah. If you listen to our offensive lineman podcast before the draft, you know how I feel about Elijah Barrett Tucker. He was the best guard in the entire draft. He was a great scheme fit for the Jets. And, you know, it's hard to talk about him without talking about the trade. And the Jets has got, just got great value with this trade. You know, you're swapping first rounders, swapping a early fourth with a late third, and you're just giving up a third rounder that, you know, you got from Jamal Adams, I think, for a guy that you know he is going to be a perennial pro bowler. He could be an all-pro. His floor is high. His ceiling is high. He's a fantastic football player, and he fits your scheme and your culture. Elijah Vert Tucker is a guy that has an extremely high football IQ. He's technically sound. He can play in all five spots of offensive line. And the great thing about Vert Tucker is he is ready to play and be great from day one. The Jets from McGovern to Backton have an extremely solid left side, the blind side of quarterbacks at Wilson. I was re-watching AVT's tape early today before we recorded the podcast. And you know what you know, stood out to me? He can handle stunts perfectly. He doesn't get beat by defensive nope. linemen stunts. And the Jets have allowed sacks and stunts like forever. Last year, it was just a mess. Alex, Alex Lewis and McGovern, they couldn't, they couldn't understand each other. And, you know, they play in a division, the Jets play in a division, where they face Brian Flores and Belichick, who love to simulate yeah. pressure. And they love to manufacture pressure, too. And sometimes you may think that a rookie, a young guy like Vert Tucker, will get caught up with that, will struggle early with that. I don't think so. I feel like the Jets have this left side solidified. He's a great pass blocker. He he's a guy. He's the type of guy that Zach Wilson will will be able to just okay. I'm gonna turn my back to the left side and go through my progressions on the right side here because we I have Eric Tucker and I have back. And on the running game, you know, as I said early, Backton could be the drive blocker. That means he's gonna yeah. drive the edge defender out. That turns Ver Tucker as your main guy on the outside zone. So he needs to reach the defensive tackle. And Vera Tucker did that extremely well at the USC, and he will continue to do it in the NFL level. What do you guys think? Yeah, I really can't wait to see uh, these three guys next to each other. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's a lot of beef there, a lot of athletic ability. Um, I, I can see us running left a lot, unlike last year, where we're just like, please, just run left, run left. Yeah, begging for it. But nope, then they would run right. And then, <laughs> but I, I, I can't wait to see these guys being used correctly and often. Yeah, yeah, I'm right. I'm right there with you. Um, Vitor, you nailed it. Barrett Tucker was the smartest player on USC's offense last year. And it really wasn't even close. I mean, this is never got fooled by a stunt, always was in the right position, always was passing off at the right time, sliding at the right time. And and Vera Tucker does this thing that in terms of linemen recently, I've only seen two other people do. And those two people are Quentin Nelson and Penny Sewell, where if they're not getting blocked, if they read the pressure correctly and a guy that they think is going to be blocking drops out and they go, okay, I have no one to block. And they can process that within a fraction of a second. They turn into heat seeking missiles to help out their teammates. 
they, yeah, they, they it's like work. they look for work and they do it in a violent way where Bear Tucker specifically, if he doesn't have someone blocking, and when this is really when he was at guard, he did this a lot more. If he doesn't have someone in front of him, if it's a three-man rush, he immediately goes to help out his left tackle and basically just decleat whatever defensive end is rushing him. And I love that about him. And I think it's going to help the entire offensive line. I think he's going to be the perfect seal-off player. When Mekhi Becton gets the end open and they need to seal it off and make sure that the guy can actually cut behind the hole and get to the edge, Barrett Tucker is going to be perfect for that. I think he's going to be great in pass protection. And this was the trade-up was more than worth it. They could have given up more. I'd still think it's worth it. I honestly think they got really solid value for for what they did get and what they needed. They still made the same amount of picks that they started with in draft picks, you know, before the trade. And I'm I couldn't be more excited. I really couldn't. And yeah. you know, this offensive line needs more three letter abbreviations. We got yeah. uh, ABC, GBR, uh, CMG. Why not one more? Uh, and yeah, like he's, I love the the his plows and when he drops the hammer on these guys, and I, I like offensive linemen that show awareness. Yes, uh, because yeah. they can have the talent, but if they're not aware enough to use it, then they never really meet their full potential. But no. he most definitely has the awareness to go with it. Yeah, yeah, he, he's he's excellent, excellent. There's no other word to describe it. Well, from one three-letter abbreviation to another, and from one guard to another, that takes us from ABT to GVR. And uh, Greg Van Roden, Vitor, our re- resident guard specialist, go ahead, and take it away. Well, you know, after being extremely excited to talk about Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys and say that I'm not that excited to talk about Greg Van Roden. You know, they are not in the same planet or stratosphere as a player, but I'm going to try no. to be a little bit optimistic here and say that Van Roden can be solid, maybe. He's a good to above average pass protector, right? He's fine. He allowed on three sacks last season, and he got better. The numbers say that as the season went on. But, you know, being honest also, I don't see the the skill set to be our guy on the running game. Van Roden, when he played well in Carolina, they ran basically a gap scheme with Cam Newton and uh, Christian McCaffrey and the linemen were always in doubt when playing against Carolina because of the, the threat of Cam Newton, which allowed Van Roden to flourish on some easy blocks. Right now and right here, we need a guy that has athleticism and if not athleticism, has strength. And Van Roden is pretty much average in both of these traits. Uh, right now, Van Roten is our starting right guard. And that's not great, but that's okay if the rest of the line is good. The thing is, we here, we all here think that Cameron Clark could be a guy that rises up this offseason and plays well. Clark is not the prototype guard that in the system, you know, for an example here, the 49ers last year played two guards that are I think they're under 190. School and Brunskill. While Clark is an extremely heavy player, but he, you can make the comparison between him and Lake and Simmons, the 49ers right. left one. A guy that, you know, was a mauler in the running game, had some tough blocks because he could not always reach after the tree tack or reach after the linebackers, but he was effective. And under the good, a good coaching staff, talented players can be effective. And, you know, looking for another standpoint, Clark could be a different difference maker on the inside. The Jets do not have a guy with Clark skill sets. So this allows the Jets to do different things. The Jets want to run inside zone with the B gap as a point of attack. The Jets want to run dual with Clark, double teaming inside. This will allow the Jets to do it. You know, he gives the Jets more options than Ben Brody. But as Andrew said, the Jets are early while we're offline here. The Jets are listing Cameron, Cameron Clark as a tackle. You know, yeah. I know this, this list right now, they may not mean anything, but if the Jets build Clark as a tackle, things get really interesting here. Will the Jets make a competition between Van Roden, Lewis, and Hoge? I don't know, guys. What do you think? 
Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's something really interesting. I was actually right before we recorded this episode, actually, I went and I went looked up the Jets current roster because I wanted to get a list of the underacted free agents and other players are going to talk about in a little bit. And I saw that they have Cameron Clark listed specifically as a tackle, which he had been a guard last year. We're all pretty sure. And they now have him listed at tackle. But when it comes to other players on the roster, like Dan, uh, Dan Feeney or Tristan Hoge, they're listed as offensive linemen. It specifically says OL. And it specifically has Cam Clark listed at tackle. So that's really interesting that a new coaching staff has decided to make him a tackle when he had been a tackle in college, was a guard under the Jets under Adam Gase last year, and now going back to tackle. Is he going to be competing for the right guard spot? And again, this could just be meaningless listings on a, you know, a roster website in the middle of the beginning of June. But it's interesting that it was specific and that it, it wasn't just Cam Clark offensive line. It was Cam Clark tackle. Now, the counter to that is what we're saying. We all agree that I think he would be a better right guard than he would be as a backup tackle. Now, we talked about backup tackles before and the Jets clearly need those. But in terms of where his best actual fit playing football would be, I think we all agree it would be right guard. And yep. what you said, Vitor, is what I want to highlight when you were talking about inside zone. Because I think the Jets are going to run a lot of inside zone at a gun, and they're going to run a lot of outside zone at under center. And yep. inside zone at a gun is it's kind of evolved because it's been such a common play throughout the NFL now, where you imagine inside zone as any other zone run play where you're trying to get your reach blocks and, you know, get slightly to the corner and hit between the, the gap and the tackle and the, the guard and go through the backside B gap. And there's your play inside zone. Now it's kind of more power based than speed based. And that you're basically, if you imagine from a standard set, you're in a shotgun, you're a quarterback, running back is to your right. The right tackle and the right guard are just flipping their hips, getting walling off the inside and pushing the lineman out of the way. And you have the exact opposite from the center, the left guard and the left tackle the other way where they're flipping to the left. And they're basically just spreading out and creating a crease. And you're trying to spread the off the defensive line in half, push them one way on the left, push them the other way on the right, create a gap up the middle. It's a lot more about strength and movement than it is about quickness. And Cam Clark, I think, would be really, really good at that as a right guard, just having the power to, you don't got to reach block four yards downfield. You just got to go a yard and a half and turn and anchor, and that's it. And I think Cam Hart could be really good at that. I'd love to hear what you guys think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, when coming out, I definitely favored his strength over his mobility. Mm -hmm. uh, I even made a comment uh, that year. I was like, I, I see him playing inside year one. Of course, he didn't suit up at all year one, but uh, I could definitely see him playing inside in the future. Now, about those those listings though so they listed hoge as ol right yes mm -hmm. but and i don't see him playing anything else other than guard i don't see him playing center i don't, I don't see either him playing tackle so it would make sense that they would just put him as a as a guard so right. i am not going to put too much into that basket that it means a lot i think he still has a chance to be to be playing guard um, for sure. Yeah, I, I can definitely see him being used, utilized uh, as, as a tackle if, if needed. But I, I, I still think he's going to make his money inside. The difference between inside zone and outside zone is, is your point of attack. When you're running inside zone, yep. you attack the defender inside. When you're running outside zone, you attack the defender outside. And the Jets are going to run a lot of inside zone. When you attack a defender inside, I mean, in between his shoulders, you need strength, and that's where Cameron Clark is going to eat. I like what you said, Andrew. From the gun, I'm going to run a lot of inside zone, and I love the fit yep. here, too. Yeah, I think it, it certainly can fit. I agree that the, the designation, I'm not saying it's by any means set in stone. It's just caught me off guard and was interested that it was specific. But I, by no means do I think it's a, you know, by anything is set, and that when we get to training camp, they could have Cam Clark competing for the guard spot. Certainly possible. I mean, they clearly thought he could be a guard before. So it's not like this is something that we haven't seen. Um, definitely, definitely raises and, some and, eyebrows. Right. It was it was certainly eyebrow raising. And and to wrap off the guards, while we were starting to talk about Van Roten, he was the beginning. And we all said we wanted to 
to get in and talk positively about a player that I don't think many of us have that high hopes for. But if Van Roten is your worst offensive lineman, your line's pretty solid. I agree. Uh, Van Roten, I mean, he did show a lot more in pass protection than run blocking. Uh, And in the end, keeping uh, Zach Wilson upright is very important. So agreed. Yeah, if if he's the worst we can do, I'm I'm not feeling that bad. Uh, and I think he will, and he brings a veteran presence as well, where Clark yeah. has not seen a single snap. So right. I can definitely see him being the favorite once camp opens. Yeah, I think he will be too. All right. Well, that leads us to the last starter. That's Connor McGovern. Matt, go right ahead. All right. Uh, so Connor McGovern was our star 2020 uh, free agent pickup along the offensive line. Uh, this was JD's first crack at trying to fix the many issues along this uh, unit. Uh-huh. To say JD probably had has a lot riding on this signing might be putting it mildly. Yeah. Uh, I think this became even more obvious in this year's free agency. Uh, yep. We were not really strong contenders in picking up any big-name center free agents. Lindsay, oh. uh, Andrews, Mack, Rodney Hudson. JD barely batted an eye at these guys. Uh, this shows his confidence in sticking with McGovern. Um, I don't think anyone can look at 2020's tape for Connor and say, hey, he, he met all of our expectations. Uh, he struggled mightily uh, for most of the year. He didn't really hit his stride until the last quarter of the year. Um, I think both the bad play and the solidification at the end uh, were associated with who was lining up next to him. Uh, and how many reps they got together. Uh, yeah. When the guys next to him settled in, so did his comfort level. Consistency is key for the offensive line's ability to gel together. Agreed. A strong presence from uh, fellow three-letter initials, AVT and GVR, will do wonders for McGovern in finding some stability this year. Uh, now, for what we can expect from a revitalized McGovern, we can maybe expect a, more of a 2019 version of him. Uh, we'd be getting an athletic center with a strong base, and that's a great combo to have. Yes, the athleticism to get to reach blocks or to the second level, yeah. but also have the base to anchor and use torque and circular force to turn defenders at will. Uh, where last year he probably spent too much time worrying about the guy next to him. Uh, the hope is that this year he can play more free and maximize all the tools He's got hanging in that tool shed. Uh, I'm expecting a lot of good things from McGovern this year. In the run game, I expect us to take full advantage of Connor's athleticism. Uh, being able to get outside of a one tech uh, that's shooting the A-gap is hard enough. I've seen yeah. McGovern explode out of his stance and get outside three techs. He's that mobile. Becton, AVT, Connor. Uh, this will be a very formidable group going forward. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely, definitely agree. I think the important thing to note is that this is a system that is more familiar to what Connor McGovern is used to because he really kind of grew up and started his career in Denver under Gary Kubiak. And it's yep. the same offense, essentially. When it, the running plays, at least, are the same running plays. It's outside zone, Shanahan inspired. So that's that type of system got Connor McGovern to be the prized free agent acquisition of the Jets. Now he's going back to something that's a little closer to it. Adam Gase, a lot of people said it was, you know, zone-based West Coast. And yeah, it was similar in that way. But Adam Gase was was by no means this Shanahan offense. And Connor McGovern specifically had to do a lot more power lifting than just getting out and reaching people with the Jets. And he wasn't as good at that. He'll be doing a lot more reaching now. And I think it's a more natural use of his skill set, like you said, Matt. I think you can only expect, like we talked about with George Fant, it's a better system for these players to be playing in. You would have to think that that's going to have a positive impact on their play. Yeah, one thing McGovern is is not is he doesn't have a lot of length to him. And it shows up on tape a lot where he lets defenders into his chest. So if you're asking him to do a lot of powerlifting, like you said, it's probably not going to end very well. Uh, he no. does have the, the anchoring ability, but I I don't think that he'll be able to hold up that much without being 
put in an advantageous uh, position of being in motion. Yep. And, you know, it's all about getting comfortable as an offensive lineman. The number of times that the Jets started a game running dives on third down, inside yeah. runs, gaps on third downs, and McGovern lost his block. You know, this this kills an offensive lineman in confidence. You know, the Jets now early in the game, they're going to be running stuff that McGovern is good at, and he will be able to get to the flow of the game quicker. You know, this changes the game. You know, this is a completely different stuff. And what Matt said is completely true. I think McGovern is going to be able to play more by himself. Like last year, the Jets were constantly changing inside interior offensive linemen. And McGovern was like, he was, you know, when he was quick sliding, he was looking to, to the left and the right side, like what's going on, what's going on. And sometimes he didn't see a blitzer coming out. It's, it's like you can expect all of those guys to get better under this system, under this scheme. and also. With a full of season under their belt, I also think it's yeah. gonna make a difference. Yeah, go back to his 2019 tape. You can definitely see the awareness in action. Uh, he just had such an understanding of where everybody was supposed to be and what he needs to do. You could see it with his his drag hand, just feeling out everybody, keeping his eye on what he's doing, and then just moving on to to the to an open uh, defender that he needs to block. You can see it when he's uh, on combo block. You can see him solidify his block and not spend too much time and then move to the second level. Uh, and I feel like last year, he maybe spent too much time thinking about the guy that he's helping out rather than his next assignment. Yeah. Yep. Uh, chemistry, just as chemistry is important for quarterbacks and their wide receivers, it's just as important for centers and the rest of their offensive line. Because centers are the quarterbacks of your line, if you want to use that term. They're making the calls. They're, they have to be the smartest guys on the field. They have to be the, the leader of your offensive line. And like you're talking about, Matt, that was what McDermott was so good at in Denver is he was the leader of that line and he was very aware and he was great with his line calls and it helped to the, his teammates, but it takes chemistry and you have to have guys next to you that you're comfortable with and that you can work together as a unit as an offensive line more so than any other position group is a unit. And if you aren't on the same page, it's only going to be that much harder. And I think with more consistency in a better scheme with players that hopefully will be starting next to him for the whole season. He's going to see his play improve as well. And it's, it's, we have reason to be excited. All right. Well, that's the starting offensive line, at least as of right now. So that's going to take us on to the backup players. We've got a handful of guys here. We're not going to go super in depth, just kind of run through the list as a whole quick, quick couple of thoughts on each and then get out of here. Call it a day. Uh, first up, we talked about him earlier. Cameron Clark, apparently tackle potentially guard. We will see. Um, Broke him down a little before. No need to go completely all the way back in, but we do think he has potential. We certainly like his fit better at guard than tackle. But if Cameron Clark is impressing at tackle, that's a good thing because they need tackle depth. And speaking of tackle depth, that leads us to Chuma Adoga, who I forgot was on the Jets until I checked the roster right before recording this podcast. Um, but he is another backup tackle that they have. And to be completely fair, I think his skill set is a better fit for this scheme, just like the other players we've talked about. Because coming out of USC, he was the lighter, quicker tackle with really good feet, wasn't quite the strongest guy, didn't quite have the best anchor, but was really good movement and played in the same system at USC that made Vera Tucker good. And we saw Vera Tucker reach block in the same way that we saw Adoga reach block when he was at USC. So I think he could improve to be a quality backup. Hopefully, that's what you're hoping for, is that if Chuma Adoga can get better, he does have some starting experience, good or bad, it's starting experience. And yep. I think he can improve to be a quality backup tackle. And he's probably going to have to be. Do you guys have any thoughts on Adoga? Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of guys that get their own name tattooed on their arm. Uh, I don't <laughs> know if that's a USC <laughs> thing, but uh, it, it's, it's intimidating for me because you, you got to know, you, you know who's blocking you, even with their face masks on. Uh, I, I, I like Adoga's athletic ability. I, I liked him when he came out. Um, he, he's definitely a developmental guy. He's a guy that needs to hit the gym, uh, because his, his weakness is definitely his strength. Uh, you definitely see him getting worked by stronger, more powerful, uh, defenders. 
he's got a long way to go. And like you said, if he can find some stability with the coaches and the guys around him, uh, maybe he finally can develop into that solid backup that we need. Yeah, yeah. You know, what makes me sad is that Dogo was third round pick. Like, yeah. He should be more than just a quality backup. And maybe, you know, the staff can develop him. But right now, I, I agree with Andrew here. His ceiling, we could be happy now with his ceiling if he ends up being a solid backup for this team. Yeah, I think that's that's all you can hope for. Because they've if Chuma Odogo was not drafted by Joe Douglas, he was yeah. not drafted by Robert Sala. And well before that, if Joe Douglas had faith in Chuma Adoga, we would have seen him not make the additions of tackle that he's made. If, yeah. if he thought this is a third round pick that I think could develop and maybe be a quality starter in the future. And, and I'm Joe Douglas and I believe in Chuma Adoga. You don't sign George Fant. You don't draft Mekhi Becton. You don't take Warren Moses on this. You hope that this guy that you took in the third round could you get, have to give him the chance unless you don't think he's going to succeed, in which case you replace him. And that's what the Jets have done. So I think we're hoping for quality backup. And if that happens, then that's a good thing. I'll be very, very clear that if Chuma Adoga becomes a quality backup, that's very good for the Jets. Yeah, but like you said, he was the third round pick. So if he is just becoming a backup, that is a disappointment. Uh, but Agreed. I think that's more on McCagnan, just overdrafting him. I had a fifth yeah. round grade on him. And yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't like that pick at all, where we yeah. took him. I liked, I liked him, but I didn't like taking him there. Yeah, I had a, I had a mid four. That was a little higher than you guys, but yeah, I still thought it was a, an overdraft. All right, well, the next guy on the list, uh, Beer Chugger, uh, mm-hmm. Mullenware, probably my new favorite player in the Jets roster, Dan Feeney. Um, I tweeted the other night where I said there was a video of Dan Feeney at the Islanders game, and he was him chugging a beer with all of the Zach Wilson, Bear Tucker, and George Fitt, and all the people were there. And I said, Dan Feeney could be the worst guard in the NFL, and I'd still defend him with my life. Um, <laughs> the unfortunate thing about that is he kind of is. And statistically, he has not been good. He has not been good at all um, in the chances that he has had to be a starter. But like we talked about with the Doga, starting experience, good or bad, is experience. And you learn from it regardless. So it's a guy that is not going to be a backup on this team with no starting experience. He's going to have some playing time. And I think it's obvious why... Dan Feeney was attracted to the Jets. Obviously, he's a depth player. I don't think anyone's expecting him to be starting. I think we're expecting him to be McGovern's backup. But the guy is just something special for your locker room, clearly. Because the way that as a a backup offensive lineman, he has just fit right in with the team and just been embraced by everybody and everything and the media and, and all the teammates that you see them out at the games together and they're having all this fun. I mean, he looks like he is loved by everybody. And uh, that's important. There's some, some, but not every single player on a 53 man roster's job is to be the best physical football player. And that's it. Yes, that's a huge part of it. And by no means should you slack on your physical talent as a football player to be a better player in the locker room. But those guys keep their careers for a, a reason. It's why a guy like Dan Beanie can be statistically bad and get signed by another team in free agency because they're really good for your locker room and they're guys that are important to have. And for all we know, Dan Feeney may be doing everything he can when he's not physically playing to be the best player possible. His study habits might be excellent. His work ethic might be excellent. And it just may not translate on the field because of athletic ability or whatever other reason. But this is a guy that I think is, is going to be on this team. He's going to make the 53 and I think he's going to potentially see action maybe at guard, maybe at center. If somebody goes down, he'll think he'll definitely be a preseason guy, but he's going to be a part of this team. He already is. I'm just going to say that he is already a part of this team. Uh, yeah. Like, like I said, with uh, Connor McGovern though, it, when you're playing center, it really matters who's next to you. And yeah. he kind of had the same problem as McGovern at and uh, as a Charger, with uh, injuries uh, uh, to the left and to the right of him. So 
he may have not he he may have uh, suffered from the same thing of of just not being able to gel with his team. Uh, of course, as a backup, he's not really gonna get the chance to gel as much as he uh, he will with uh, with the starters, but he still has the potential to come in and benefit from having guys next to him that he can rely on. Yeah, I'm on board with you guys here. Feeney has the worst numbers ever, but he drinks beer like an animal, and he's one of my favorite players already. Yeah, that's cool. Who cares? Yeah, he's a backup lineman. Yep. This isn't, he's a backup lineman. I'm not going to stress over a backup lineman. And I think it's important to, at least after the teams that we've had recently, to be like happy to root for the Jets and feel like these are guys that we're happy to have on the team, whether they're good or bad. I, I, it's feeling like we have guys that want to be on this team and and very clearly all seem to be, I mean, the team chemistry is, is, is insane. I couldn't, I can't imagine Sam Darnold and, and everybody going to do an Islanders game under Adam Gase. He went with Jabal Adams to a nightclub and got mono. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like that's, that's what happened before. I, this is, I'm, I'm very encouraged by what I'm Okay. Well, that's going to take us to the UDFAs to close out the show. Uh, we got three of them on the offensive line with Parker Ferguson from Air Force, Grant Hermans from Purdue, Tristan Hodge from BYU. Uh, we had talked about Hodge in our draft recap. We went over the ODFA, UDFAs quickly because he was one of the first ones to sign. Uh, teammate of Zach Wilson, so I feel like it's a fair point to start with him. Uh, he played guard at BYU. I think he would naturally be expected to play guard for the Jets as well. But again, we want to go back to the designation. He's listed as OL, so who knows? But I think he's expected to be a guard. Um, BYU offensive line was stellar last year. Granted, they weren't playing the best competition in the world, but that doesn't mean that they weren't like legitimately historically fantastic. And Tristan Hodge was a part of that. And he clearly, like we talked about with Zach Wilson and like we talked about when we covered Hodge before, he can run the offense because he did it at BYU. It's a similar type of scheme. It's outside zone. And BYU had to run outside zone to set up all the Wilson play actions. You only see highlights of the play actions. You don't see highlights of Tyler Algier going for 65 down the sideline. And that's where Hoge can fit. I think depth, he's an undrafted free agent. You know, you got to temper your expectations when you're talking about these guys. But he fits the scheme. He's got familiarity with the quarterback. He just took second overall. And you're hoping after a really stellar season of play that he can continue and grow and hopefully grow into a piece on the team. If, if an undrafted free agent player makes the final roster, they accomplish their job. They outperformed yeah. expectations. And regardless of anything else, if you come in as an undrafted player and you make the 53, good for you, you did it. And that's all we can hope to say with all three of these guys. And hosts. And like some of the other guys on our offensive line, he's he's got a bully attitude to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I liked watching him look for work. Uh, he, he has always had his head on a swivel, just looking for a guy to hit. I, I love that. Uh, I don't think he's got crazy athleticism. He's, he does have enough. Uh, I don't yep. see him getting to long reach blocks, but, uh, the short area, uh, quickness is there. He can, he can, he can get inside, uh, the guard, uh, the defensive tackles on uh short area, uh, reach blocks, but I, I don't see him being that athletic freak, uh, like, uh, Vera Tucker would be. Uh, no. he, he's he's got something to develop there, and he already has the comfort level with Zach. So I think he's a shoe in to make the team. I don't know anything past that. Yeah, you know how great would it be if both Hoge and ABT are starting guards like five years from now? Because I really think Hoge. And his value was great as an undrafted free agent. If he didn't get hurt, yeah. maybe he would be like a fourth rounder or a fifth rounder. I don't know. He's a draftable player. Really think, yeah. I think he makes the roster, guys. I don't know if he's going to start, but I think he makes the roster. Yeah, I had a fifth round grade on him. Uh, I thought he was definitely draftable. Yeah, yeah same here. I was, I was late five, but yeah. Yeah, fifth. I, I agree. I think he definitely can. I think depth is is really important at every position we're going to talk about in this entire series. Depth is important because the jets have one of the the thinnest rosters in the league for years. Just top to bottom, their roster was just completely and totally thinned out to where if they had one injury in any handful of spots, it could completely derail everything. And having backups that are quality players is important. Joe Douglas knows that firsthand. He was with the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl under Nick Foles. 
And we talked about backup quarterbacks last week or the week before, and we're going to talk about backup linemen now. It's the same deal. If I think Hoge has a really good shot to make the roster. I think as a scheme fit, familiarity, you know, quality of play last year, attitude, he's got everything you would hope to see as an undrafted player that you would hope to make the roster. Yep. Now, as for the other two, I'm going to be honest, I haven't really watched either of them. So I need to go back and specifically study. And We're not alone. Um, I, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I wouldn't imagine that you guys have been, you've had a lot more pressing things to, to tape study than undrafted free agent one. And not anything against these guys, but that's just the, the order of how things goes. We will get to their tape. I'm sure of it. Um, but as we just talked about for undrafted free agents, if you make the roster, you did something right. And I think it's, going to be interesting to see what these guys do now Purdue and their offense I think is interesting because and I would have to go back and study more but they ran a lot of reverses jet motions and things like that with Rondale Moore and so that makes me think that Hermans is going to have some sort of a familiarity with what we're going to do because Elijah Moore is going to run a lot of the same things and it could be crack toss off a counterplay uh, or the lineman has to pull to a specific spot and all of that movement. I, again, Purdue could do, could be doing none of that. And I'm the tape could show something different, but that's what I want. And I'm going to go back and look for is my initial thought is, okay, what did the jets see in this guy that made him want to be signed as a free agent? Similarity and scheme is my first thought as it goes for Ferguson um, to be a player that is in the service Academy and get the opportunity to play in the NFL as well as a free agent, that's, that's cool for him to do. Um, Air force has been, you know, all the service academies, they run the ball like hell. And so you got to have X amount of toughness, not only to be in the air force, but to also play on an offense like that, uh, that Joe Douglas likes Brady Maulers. So going off again, assumptions, not getting to tape. What I'm expecting to see is I'm expecting to see Ferguson be a baller. Um, I'd love to know your guys' thoughts that and anything else, uh, on there. Uh, going back to Herman's, uh, I, I was looking at his uh, profile. I see that he has a wrestling background and okay. I do love that in my offensive line. Sign me up. Background. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, I'm on, I, I'm intrigued. Uh, I, I always love just seeing that, that circular force, that, that torque being yep. able to use leverage to their advantage. Uh, these things are, are all, uh, pointing up, but, uh, I, I, I just see him as a camp body for now. Agree. Yeah, I'm with you guys here, and I also love the wrestling background too. Even more so on a zone blocking scheme, you know. Oh yeah, that's why we love Creed Humphrey, among among other reasons. But yeah, when linemen are wrestlers, it is good. There are a handful of things like that where it's like if cross training is good, period. But when a player at a certain position specifically did something else, it's always like ding, ding, ding in my head. And for offensive linemen that wrestle, that's like the biggest one. Like offensive linemen with wrestling wrestling backgrounds jump like a full round grade in my evaluations. Uh, all right, well that's the offensive line. Um, I would think a good way to quickly end would just be predictions for the line overall. Don't need to go anything too specific one way or the other. Um, but I'll lead things off. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is a rookie Pro Bowler. Ooh, a rookie Pro Bowler. I think he's a rookie Pro Bowler. All right, I'm gonna take the whole unit and say they stay mostly healthy the whole year and they solidify to become a top 10 rushing offensive line. Well, I'm going to go a good one and a bad one. Good one. B Kai Bacton is a first team out pro and bad one. The jets have three guys starting at right guard during the season. They started Van Roden, mm. they go to Cameron Clark and they finish the season with Tristan. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, I like it. And I don't like I mean, that. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like that, but I like I like Mackay Beckton being an all pro. Yeah. <laughs> the second one was more like a bow prediction, but the first one, I, you know, I feel like Beckton has that potential already. Yeah, I think so too. I, I I think if everything clicks and he stays healthy and you know treats his body right, it could happen that soon. Yep. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, next week, we are going to be covering tight ends. That's going to be a lot of fun going through the roster. Chris Herndon, Kenny Yeboah, Tyler Croft. We might also sneak running backs in there, too. Not quite sure, but we'll see. Uh, at least going to be the tight ends for sure. This has been the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I have been your host, Andrew. You can find me at Golden underscore 17. Guys, let's drop our handles. Call it a day. I'm Matt. You can find me at 
at Zazzy Jets. And you can find me at Vito Piva M. Thank you guys for listening. We will be back next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.